listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Now, for those of you that don't know me, he's very gracious. He's usually, when you're a guest speaker, you know, the pastor gets up, says nice things about the guests. Then the guest feels kind of bound to say something nice about, about him. I'm, I'm 73 years old. I've been shot twice, been thrown off of a building, been in three plane crashes, and I've worked with Christians for 50 years. I don't know which was traumatic more. You know, this is, folks, I've been doing this all my life. Um, and the reason why I'm here is because I don't take a vacation, unlike the folks that couldn't be here. And you're all running around somewhere. For those of you watching this online, yeah, I get it. The whole COVID thing's kind of been what it's been. Um, so it's easier for people now to sit home and watch, watch church in their underwear. I get it. Um, it's probably better than being here in your underwear. And the only reason why I'm saying that, I was in Fresno last Sunday. And I told the pastor last week, I was going to start this is going to be something I'm going to talk about now for weeks. They got this, the downtown Fresno, this is too loud. Is this okay? Is it all right for you? All right. I don't like it, but if you like it, that's fine. Um, so in downtown Fresno, it's a dump. I mean, I felt like I was back in Brooklyn, right? Only because he hasn't been recalled yet. But maybe that'll change later. And I told him I didn't need to get political, but I kind of feel it coming on now. A little bit. So, for those of you that aren't political, you say, well, I don't think you should talk about that. I have a mic, you don't. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Anyways, so there's this little dumpy restaurant called the Chicken Shack. Right downtown. So there's no place else to eat because everything's closed. So this little crummy, it's kind of a, it's a little shaky. I felt like I was back home. And then around the corner comes this woman in yellow underwear. That's all she's got on. I just want to make sure this walls so you understand. But here's the kicker. The only one that seemed to bother in the restaurant was me. Everybody else. So then I'm looking around, and I'm going, she must be one of the regulars. I don't even know why I said that, but just still in my, I'm still traumatized from last Sunday. Anyways, it has been a very interesting journey for me. Um, not only has Metro become the largest Sunday school in the world, which I've never taken for granted, uh, it's really easy when you've done something for 50 years, like I have. Um, just stop taking things for granted. I don't even want to do that. Uh, and, and you don't either. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again with the cheap seats all the way in the back. Because I really like him. I'm going to kind of guard myself in this first service. I'm doing two different messages. So I'm going to go a whole different direction on the next one, 
And unfortunately, I'll be leaving town right after this. <laughs> and, then, and then he'll have to deal with the fallout. But guys, it's just, no matter what we hear or see on television or the knuckleheads that um, say things like America's a bad country, um, there's not a part of this world I haven't been in except Antarctica. That's like the only I'm actually going there next year to minister to the penguins. Um, they're Pentecostal. Um, well, you can tell by the way they walk. Um, that just came upon me right there. So, there's not a part of this world I haven't been in. And for those of you that haven't traveled, I would encourage you, travel a bit. Not, not to the nice place. Don't go to Cancun. Don't go to Cozumel. You know, everybody away from this country. Oh, we're going to go on a mission trip. We're going to go to Mexico. Now, they go to Mexico. They paint an orphanage, play soccer, take some pictures, get diarrhea, and think they're David Livingston. No, you're not. You get diarrhea, you play soccer. That's what you did. So let's not confuse missions. Okay. Can spend some time at some tough places. And let me tell you something. When you come back here, you will understand that we all live in what is the greatest country in the entire world. You better give God a praise. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you don't believe that, I'm going to be at the back table after the service. A lot of guest speakers don't hang out at the back because they don't want you to see what they're really like. This is what I'm really like. If you're waiting for this to get better, I'm kind of peeking right now. <laughs> so this is kind of how this goes today. If you're a visitor, how many first-timers? First-time visitors? Any first-timers? Oh, good. You're first. But you knew me. You just heard me. Where? Largo? Yeah. And you, and you still came to this. Oh, so good. But this is a good church. You need to come here. Do you not come to this church? And? <laughs> okay. And? See, when you find a good church, that's not how far it is. That's kind of how I look at it. But we'll talk later. Anyways, I'm just telling you this, that uh, I'll be at the back table hanging out there. Be nice to me at the back table. Um, he was with me last time, and I forgot when we were in Mobile. I had just gotten in a fist fight in Jacksonville. Some guy was stupid, and he knocked around an old guy. And you know, us old guys, we got to stick together. No, because, see, nobody, they don't feed you on the plane anymore. So you don't get food. So I get these little, uh, what do you call those things? The sun-made raisins, those little boxes of raisins. So I, have, I put three every day when I'm traveling in my bag, one for breakfast, one for lunch, and one for dinner. You don't get a body like this from eating well, obviously. Okay. So I'm looking for raisins in public, minding my own business. Like, I try not to engage when I'm out because, you know, if something happens, you know how it goes. So I'm just looking for raisins, minding my own business. This older lady is going, you know, older folks, they yell because it's just part of getting older. You can't hear yourself, so you don't think anybody else can. So she yelled, that's Joe Biden. 
He's just a jerk. And the husband goes, oh, honey. Well, this other guy, probably in his 50s, goes walking by. So he starts cussing the lady out. Well, the husband then, going to defend her. So this other guy comes over, two hands in the chest, smacks the old guy, knocks him into the food. He falls down, hits his head. He's out. I'm just looking for raisins. That's it. I get no other. All right, now I'm going to engage. So I go back, and he's out. So I tell somebody, call 911. So I'm bending down here with the guy. Well, this other guy, he won't let up. So I just look up and I go, really? And the guy says, oh, you want some? Exactly. He didn't know I live in Brooklyn. So I'm thinking, yeah, I guess I do. And I was just in the right spot. It took two, anyways. So that was done in Jesus' name. And anyways, I say this to say, be nice to me at the back table. Because at 73, a life sentence is not a deterrent for me. Just so you know, I'm just saying. Pastor, thank you so much for letting me be here. Thank you. Thank you, thank you for letting me be here. Uh, I, you know, there's some people that when you meet them, you know, if I like somebody, I really like them. And if I don't, I just tell them I really don't like you. Because it's just easier. You know, then you don't have to go through the bumble, mumbo jumbo stuff. So, but we got to talk a little bit at that thing in Mobile. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't have a lot of close friends, and you can imagine why that is. <laughs> but uh, thank you for being my friend. I knew you meant that. Good. What else? Oh, you're really not a guest speaker unless you're selling something. That's kind of the true test of whether you've arrived as a guest speaker. Let me run through this real quick so I don't have to do it 50 times back there. Um, the book, Whose Child Is This?, tells how Metro uh, has become what it has become by the grace of God. This book will make you laugh, it will make you cry, but it will force you to look at yourself through a different lens. That was the purpose of me putting this together. Um, it's a great introduction. Um, you got the old one, the, well, the first one, right? Who's never read this book? Never read the book? Let me see. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> Where you guys been? All right, all right. Okay, do you guys have like something like stairs that you put up here? No, shut up. <laughs> See, you've been around me just just enough to give me a bad time. All right, then I'm going to stand up here. All right, you guys don't, never read the book? Never read the book. There you go. Merry Christmas. All right, that's that one. Um, okay, um, this I just finished this not long ago. Uh, it's the only hardback book. It's, it's called Elephants of Relevance. It's based kind of on that American colloquialism. Um, you know, the elephant, thousand pound elephant in the room. So I thought, you know what? I've been around church like all my life and I've come up with all these little things, you know, that you see. For those of you that are older, remember on Wednesdays, when we used to have testimony services? Remember those times? Yeah, I'm still traumatized. 
It's like the women, the woman in the yellow underwear. It never goes away. Um, uh, okay, so, so I got 50 elephants, right? 50 elephants. Well, I was just going to put something together because it just made sense to me. So this has become a cult classic. <laughs> People get this now and use it for small groups, which I had no idea. So it's a good thing I made it hardback. Because if you use this and you share it, it will make people mad. It will irritate people. But it's perfect. It's a dual-purpose book. And it works perfect. So does anybody have a friend that needs to be smacked in the head? Oh, you're, gonna, you're right. In, is it her? No, I'm just asking. All right, here you go. There you go. All right. All right. There's all kinds of, oh, I want to talk to you about this. Um, I was in Manila several years back, and we do Sunday school and a couple of the garbage dumps and in the cemetery and stuff. Hey, by the way, if any of you ever want to go with me to like do one of those trips, um, I take 30, 40 people first week of March every year to go to the Philippines. So if any of you think you're up for something like that, um, let me know. It's, it's a tough trip, but it's a good trip. And I'll be back at the back there, like I said. So, so I'm in the garbage dump, and the trucks are unloaded. So I watch four or five of the moms of the kids that go to the Sunday school there. And I saw them pulling out the magazines. I'm thinking, what are they doing? And so what they do, it's the coolest thing. They get the glossy magazines, cut them into about like this, and then they wet them roll them up, put a rosin over them, hardens them up, and they get this little dentist drill where they cut holes in this, and then they put these together, and they make, like, bracelets, necklaces, and then they sell them on the street in Manila. And I'm thinking, no, 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 send them to me. I will put them here. So when you guys see these, what this has done in the last couple of years, not only does it help them provide for their family, but two of those moms now, for the first time, have been able to get their kids in school just because of these dopey little things. So I just want you guys to know there's no charge to this. It's whatever you want to give. But it's it, we try to find things that kind of make sense to folks and help our moms and people at the same time. And then, of course, uh, you'll see some of these pictures. This is the most important thing on the table. You will have a chance today to sponsor uh, one of our kids in one of our Metro Sunday schools. We have kids from Philippines, Metro Philippines, and Metro Kenya, which I will be there in a couple of weeks um, when I get back from Afghanistan. And that's a whole other story that we'll get into later. So, anyways, you'll get a chance to uh, sponsor one of these kids. And I, I know, because I've never been here before, that a lot of you don't know my backstory. Uh, my mom was alcoholic, and we used to live in St. Pete when I was little. And she left me on a street corner right there on Park Boulevard in uh, Pinellas Park, actually. Uh, she walked away. 
She didn't come back. So I'm sitting there for three days, no food, no water, until, until one ordinary person stopped. Now, this was 1960, okay? Anybody could have picked me up. Don't miss this, okay? Gang member, dealer, pedophile. But now there's this one moment in time, okay? If we were Baptists today, we could call it predestination, but I'm not going to get into that. So there's this one moment. Third afternoon, I'm there. This one man stops. He was an ordinary Christian. Operative word, ordinary. Wasn't, wasn't a hot shot in the church. Wasn't one of the greeters. Wasn't on the board of demons. Didn't have anything to do. You know exactly what I'm saying. Some of you young folks, you're not going to understand what I say today because you don't understand anything. So just listen and you'll learn something. You'll learn a little zum zum. All right? He stops, gets out of his car, walks across the street to where I'd been sitting, puts his hand on my shoulder, and just says, Are you okay? That's it. Because one ordinary Christian chose to stop for the little boy that nobody wanted. Now, 250,000 kids hear the gospel every week. Yeah, you better give God a place. You better give God a place. So, one man, he was on his way to visit his own son, who was dying of leukemia in the hospital. Out of his own need, he still stopped for me. I tell you guys this so you understand. When you look at these pictures, these aren't stock National Geographic pictures. These are the kids that myself and our team that live there. We don't go somewhere, do something for a couple weeks, and then leave. Our folks live there. We are builders. And when you look at these kids, you will know that the reason I am so passionate about this, of getting these kids sponsored, because I was this kid. I was the kid that nobody wanted. That's when all this makes sense, guys. It's a $33 a month commitment. You can be as involved in the life of your sponsored child as you choose to be. If you go with me to the Philippines, you sponsor a kid there, you can go hang out with your sponsored kid. Okay? So, if you've ever wondered, does something like this work? Because, you know, I've, I've seen it on TV. I get it. Okay. I've lived around that world all my life. So you look at something and you go, you kind of give it the dog look. You, you know what the dog look is. You talk to your dog, your dog goes. <laughs> and you see stuff on TV, and I'm giving it the dog look. Because I know, I know. So if you've ever wondered, does something like this actually do what it's supposed to do? Okay. So I'm in Ethiopia. And uh, 
was at one of the orphanages that we had helped to start down there. So I just, I just pulled up to the orphanage. And uh, one of the staff, a younger person, a millennial, of course. Um, um, so one goes, Pastor Bill, somebody told us there was a little girl chained to a tree out in the bush. I said, okay, did you go look? No, of course you didn't. Don't wonder if why I'm like I am, folks. I've been doing this 50 years. <clears throat> All right, so I said, okay, let's go. Give me the keys to the Jeep. So jump in the Jeep. So I got this kid and another staff person. We're driving through the bush for like an hour, and we found this girl. Uh, her name was Rosie. Um, her parents wanted a boy. Kept her for a while, and then one day just decided they didn't want her anymore. So they took, it was kind of like a bike chain, and they tied her hands and feet to a tree and just left her there. Going to starve her out, and the animals would come, of course, and eat her. And so we got out of the jeep. I had, they said I had a set of cutters, and I cut her loose, picked her up, put her in the jeep, got her back to the orphanage. Rob, can you give me the first picture? Yeah. I took this picture. Um, just so you know, um, today's not going to be normal Sunday. Um, I chose to come here. He invited me. I chose to come. But in each one of these services, I'm going to bring you into my world. And my world isn't, you, got, you know that. Not right, not wrong. We made different life choices. That's all this is today. As I've so often said, for me, the need is the call. If you see a need and you can fill that today, that, my friends, is the call of God for you today. Mm -hmm. Big doors open on very small hinges. It's the little things that God puts in front of people every day. See, we pray, God, open the big door. Open, because you want to be up here. Because you think this is the big door. This isn't all what it's cracked up to be. Just so you know. But everybody wants this. God puts little things in front of you. If you're astute enough to catch it and you move on, the, that puts something into motion in your life. It moves things. It got, it's, not so much of, it's not so much of what you accomplish in life. It's what you put into motion. I am here today because one man put something in motion in the little boy's life. That's why I'm here. That's why what you see around the world, that's why we've got our first family. We have seven leaders from Metro Sunday School that was in Kabul. Okay? We've been trying to get them out of there. A lot of people talk about what they were doing to get them out. Yeah, well, okay, we're actually doing it. Okay? We've got our first family on the back. Thank you. Thank you. We're doing our best for us. We're giving it our best shot. Our best shot. We had our first family at the Pakistan border. Now they're kind of our guinea pigs. So if I can get them over Tuesday, that's going to be the pathway. But the Taliban is blocking the roads. They're shaking people down, charging people $500,000 to get these people who have that kind of money. You guys, you watch it on the news. And the sad thing is, that should have never happened in the first place. Should have never happened that way. 
Should have never went down that way, but it did. And we're not here to discuss that. I can if you'd like, but I'm opting not to at this moment. So when you're, you're dealing with all this stuff, and you guys know, this, this is how life comes at you. So anyways, so this, this is my world. I brought you into this today. I hope you're okay with that. I think you are. You are. So, so I took this picture, and I knew I was leaving in a couple of days. I was speaking at a pastor school in L.A. So I took this picture, and I put that shot in one of these folders. I thought, if anybody needs a sponsor, this is this girl. So I got to L.A., and I was telling the story, what I just told you, about how we found Rosie. So I'm done. I go back to the back table, and this lady runs back. She's got a little daughter with her. She says, Pastor Bill, we want to sponsor Rosie. I was really up front. I said, ma'am, I don't even know if this girl is going to be alive. She said, doesn't matter. We want to be the ones. And as she was talking to me, she kept looking down at her daughter. You know what she was saying. And she was a great sponsor, great. You know, there's good sponsors, and then there's, like, great sponsors. She was a great sponsor. Faithful in the commitment, prayed for Rosie, uh, sent boxes of, what do you call it, uh, protein. Boxes of protein over there to Ethiopia to try to put some weight on her. And they don't have Wi-Fi, so I have no idea how she's doing, what's going on. But I was kind of close kind of in the neighborhood in Ethiopia. <laughs> so I thought, I need to go see, see what's going on. So I, I got the old Hertz rental junk trucks in that part of the world. So I got the rental truck, drove up, and when I got there, uh, Rob, can, do you have the next picture, please? Yeah. Oh, come on. This is six months, folks. Six months. You better get this. You all better get it. Six months. This is what one person can do. And I show you this stuff so you understand that it's always about one person. I've been around just long enough. I've been around the hot shots. I've been around the crowds. I've been around all the other folks. Folks. Um, it's always about the ordinary people. Always has been, always will be. That choose to do some pretty extraordinary things. And they don't even know it's extraordinary when they're doing it. They just saw a need and they stepped up and they made something happen. So I'm going to be out there in between. Um, I didn't get to eat a donut beforehand, so I'm believing that somehow there will be at least one donut left. Because if there isn't, it's not going to go well for the second service. So whoever's in charge of the donuts, yeah, you better have one back there, Bubba, or Bubettes, whichever the case may be. All right? So, got it. We're good. Good. Let me, uh, let me chat with you. Is that clock right? Oh, that's not bad. Okay. Um, look, I can't, you know, when you get older, you just lose track of time. I've preached. I had one guy, it was the funniest thing. 
because I'm pretty conscious, especially with two services. I said, I said when, when do you normally finish? He goes, he said, don't even worry about it. Oh. He said, take as much time as you want. I went for two hours. So I only did that once. I never got invited back there, and I kind of knew it was. Oh, that was going to go. But I said, I'm doing two different messages. But I'm going to talk to you in this first one. Um, from Second Corinthians, and uh, if you got a Bible, uh, just flip it open to uh, the fifth chapter of Second Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, just slip over next to a Christian; they'll, they'll have one. Because I need you to kind of get. I'm just going to do one verse. I was where was I? Um, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I was, it was a leadership conference. And I'm walking from the hotel to the auditorium a little early. So I, I saw this Dutch museum. And I like history. I'm a history guy. Um, I just got my PhD from the University of Wales not too long ago. Um, so every once in a while, I'll use like a really big word that you won't know what it is. I do that just to justify the cost and the time that it took for me to get that stupid PhD. Um, I'm working on an MD now because we do a lot of this stuff like with Rosie, so I'm, I need to be the medical doctor. But the real punch, I'll get back. Don't let me forget what I was Amsterdam. Just remind me Amsterdam, and I'll come back. Because i got to tell you this. So I just got the PhD, right? So I think I'm all that, you know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm filling up the rental car with gas to take it back to the airport in Amarillo. So mind my own business, not engaging. I just gas up the rental car. <laughs> this guy comes running across the parking lot. He goes, is there a doctor here? I'm a doctor. Now, looking back at it, I should have asked, what kind of doctor? But I think I'm Superman, so I'm good. He goes, please, hurry. So we run over. His wife is having a baby in the back seat of the car. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. My PhD had nothing to do with none of this. But we're in it now. I mean, I can just see the head of the baby. So I'm thinking, you guys would laugh. I, I wish somebody would have videoed this because I thought, all right, and I did that. No kidding. I, I, I don't know what I thought. I don't even know why I did that. I just rolled up my sleeves. I thought, all right. It never looked that hard in the movies. How hard can this be? Did you ever think you could do something? And then at the last minute, you realize, I have no idea what I'm doing or talking about, but it's too late now, I'm in it. But then I remember I saw it in a movie where the doctor is yelling at the pregnant chick, push, breathe. So I'm thinking, that's the formula. This is what you do. It's all I got. So I'm yelling, push. 
I've done a lot of stupid things. This is right in the top ten. Push, breathe, push. Wait, you know what? Baby's coming, ready or not. We get the baby up. Baby's crying. That's a good thing. Baby's crying. Mother's crying. I was crying. Thank God. Nobody died. So I knew enough. We got to cut the cord. So I run in, get a little pair of those, uh, the little scissors, like they have in the gas stations. I just, I, I wiped them off all my pants. I tied it up. I don't know. That sucker. Well, by then, now the ambulance pulls in. So, I, and the husband, doctor, thank you so much. I never told him. You know, to this day, that guy tells everybody, oh, and this baby came. And it was a doctor. Just, it was a miracle. He had no idea how big of a miracle So, now, okay, Amsterdam, thank you. So, let's get back to the Amsterdam story. So, it's really a funny life. When you start talking about it, you realize how funny your life really is. All right, so I'm in this museum, right? And, you know, all the statues and all the stuff, and, and I saw this one statue. It was this. This is a statue. It's two hands clasped like this. That's it. It's a whole statue. So they usually have stanchions, you know, kind of giving you the rundown of what you're looking at in different languages. So I'm, and I'm thinking, I've read, I've read this story before. I know this story. And then I got to the name, and I thought, that's it. It was, it was a story of a man by the name of Dirk Willems. It was 1600s, I think, early 1600s. He was a very vocal Christian, yeah, excessively vocal, okay? So vocal that the government said, no, 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 he needs to go. So they're actually going to get him and burn him at the stake, kind of typical in that time of European history. So, Willem's hears it. So he's on the run. Now watch this. So Willem's on the run. This is middle of February. So he's running across this frozen lake. Willem's kind of a little guy, shorter guy. So he knows government guys after him. So he's running across this frozen lake. He gets across. He gets to the other side. The government guy, big guy. He gets about halfway across the lake, falls through, can't swim, drowning in this freezing water, screaming for help. Nobody's around except our boy, Miss Willems. Now, he's already good. He's away. He's free. He's, he can go. He hears the guy screaming, sees him drowning, knows he's taking him to his death. He runs back across the lake, reaches down, grabs the guy's hand, the statue. That's what the statue was. Grabs his hand, pulls him out, saves his life. The guy still takes him in. It's two weeks later. Got Willem's hands behind his back. They're going to set him on fire. Well, the story of how Willems had saved this guy's life, the guy who was bringing him to his death, obviously has circulated. 
So just before they set Willems on fire, somebody from the back of the crowd yells, Hey, Willems, why'd you do it? Why'd you? And then somebody else picks up on him. Yeah, why? You knew he was taking you to death. Why'd you save his life? And before they set Willems on fire, he yelled back at the crowd. He said, it was a reflex, a reflex in Dutch. It was a reflex. So my question to you guys in this first service, because a lot of messages that I put together have to do with a question that either somebody asks me or something that I just ask myself and then somehow try to answer it. Here's the question for you guys. See what you think. Why is it that folks go to the same church, hear the same message, same impetus, same all the factors are the same. They all see the same needs. They live in the same area. All the, what, what's the word I want to use here? All the input, thank you, is the same. Some Christians get it and some don't. You ever wonder? Or is it just me that wonders this? How is it that we all kind of are in the same little pond here and we all see what's going on, but there are some folks that just get it, and the rest of the folks don't seem to get it. Now, having said that, I was in Tulsa. I try not to go to Tulsa. It's, it's very, I, I, I can't even really explain it. Um, it was always amazing to me. They bring me in for these theological consortiums. That's, a, that's my PhD. I'm trying to, trying to work this out. And so you, well, you get all these theologians. And you know, when you get a group of guys like that together, it's just very entertaining for me. Because most of them think they're smarter than they really are, which is quite funny. So they're discussing on this trip, how did the apostles go from being the murderer to the missionary. How did that happen? Well, of course, everybody has an idea. The Damascus Road thing comes up. I've actually walked on the Damascus Road myself at like 2 a.m. in the morning. I live in Brooklyn. Okay, this is Damascus. So, so everybody's got an opinion. I always like to wait till last because when I, when I do, that means the meeting's over, that's it, we're done now. It's kind of a New York thing. Just kind of wait till the last, get the last word. I said, gentlemen, I can tell you exactly how Paul went through this dramatic change. They're all okay, whatever. And Paul says it himself, and here it is. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Here it is. 2 Corinthians 5.14. You've read it. I know you have. But I want to dig a little deeper with you, and then I'll get out of your way. Paul says that the love of Christ constrains us. Interesting, that's plural. He could have said it constrained him. Don't miss this. He said it constrains us. Now I'm not going to talk to you in a bunch of Greek. I'm not going to bore you with that. But 
This word constraint. Now, I don't know what bogus version you're reading. I read the King James. That's the one Jesus read. That's the one I stick with. I just stay with it. But some of you have all kinds of weird translations that have come up over the years. It may say one of yours compels. It may say, I don't know what it says. Oh, controls. That's right. Uh, it, it doesn't mean any of that, just so you know. That's why you had a bogus translation. Hence my smart aleck comment. Okay? Because this word constrains in the Greek is the Greek word syneko. It's one of those weird Greek words. It's actually only used once in a context like this in the whole New Testament. And that's why it's only used once. And you're going to get it in a minute. Paul uses this word. The love of Christ by itself. No secret sauce. Nothing added. The love of Christ by itself does something. Look at me. It does something. What exactly does it do? Hmm. Now, if you get close to me, you see I spit a lot. I've had both shots. They're Moderna. I'm good. So I don't want anybody panicking. If I get too close, I slobber. It's part of getting old. So I just get used to it. Um, so this word syneco, it's one of those weird words that has three primary definitions. Definitions. Now, you guys know, in most languages, when you look it up in the dictionary, it's got a primary definition, a secondary definition, depending on the text and the context, how the word is used. This word has three primaries. Why is that important? I know you're just waiting for me to tell you why this is important. Well, it is. You're going to get it in a second. Because Paul said the love of Christ all by itself, does three things. Hmm. See, when you understand what Jesus really did, not what you read he did, not what somebody told you he did, not what you think he did, but when what really happened, all the implications, every part of it, when you get that, when that connects with you, something happens to you. I'm going to give you three definitions, and we'll be done. See if this makes sense to you. Definition number one, it forces motion. In one of the old Chambers dictionaries, which is the dictionary that still bears seven or eight volumes, I think of, shows you the development of the old English language. In one of those old Chambers dictionaries, it hits it so right. It says, this word constraints, it forces motion in an unnatural manner. Mm -hmm. Watch this. I carry this with me all over the world. It's a little difficult going through security sometimes. Um, I've had it confiscated several times. Here it is. Here's your source. Here's the plug. It's hooked up to a, let's pretend it's a Florida you can't see it. It's invisible. Here's the source. Now, go back to when we used to have the testimony services on Wednesday nights. Because I lived at the church like my mother never came back. So they cleared out a maintenance closet. It was used to be the old First Assembly of God in St. Petersburg. It's now Suncoast Cathedral. 
and I used to live in his maintenance room, had a piece of foam rubber, that was my mattress. I lived there for almost three years and walked to school, people brought me food. But because but, I lived at the church, I was there in every service. So Sister Shoup, I remember, she would give her testimony every Wednesday night. It was the same testimony every Wednesday night. I could give her testimony better because I was right there in the front row. So here was what she would say. I've been walking close to the Lord all my life. Now, that sounded really spiritual on Wednesday night, but this is what she was saying. Now, it sounds good unless somebody really challenges it because you can be close to this. You can actually be that close. Is anything going to happen? No. But when this connects to this, all the little molecules in this plug and wire do not get together and vote. They don't go to a Joyce Myers meeting. I'm just using it as an illustration. When this connects to this, this, by its very nature, forces something to happen all the way down the line. They don't get the vote. They don't decide. I don't know. No. This all by itself, folks, when you get connected to what he really did, who he really is, what he, my God, when that happens to you, you don't have a choice. You have Well, I don't feel led. I don't feel led to work with teenagers. Nobody in their right mind feels led to work with teenagers. Have you lost yours? No. It's, it's not about you feeling led. So it has nothing to do with that. See? When people go, I don't feel that. I know how far it goes. They look out the window, and if it's raining, oh, I don't feel like going today. This has got nothing to do with how you feel, folks. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I was with a guy in the State Department yesterday working this Afghanistan thing in Tampa. I got up at four, drove up here, and I'm, somebody asked me, how you doing? I said, I'm fatter than a tick. I'm good to go. I'm ready. I could preach four services today. I'm just getting warmed up. It forces something to happen. Oh, when I got shot, I got shot the last time in Syria. I took one in the back. I had my vest on, but it was a Russian sniper. And a long story, don't have time for the details, but that was a, well, I know it was, but it is what it is. So, and you just go, oh, and people go, oh, he's a tough old bird, but he's going to retire now. Retire and go where? Where do people like me go? And you know, that is an excellent point. Because, like, I spend a lot of time, I'm probably preaching in Florida, probably three, four times a year. And, and it's funny because you can tell, because all the old preachers come here to Florida. And you see them by the pool, and you can tell what denomination they were by how long their shorts are. 
No, you really can. It's, you know, the Baptists, they were short. The Pentecostals, they're all the way down here. So you can always tell. Hmm. It's just an observation. What? The love of Christ pushes you. I, and I'm not saying this to be dramatic. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not going to retire. I don't, I don't retire. This is it. I, you'll hear it somewhere. I'll die doing this somewhere. I'm, I'm, I have to make the decision this week whether I'm going to go to Afghanistan because we've got to get those people out. We've got to get them out. And I don't care what it takes. It's whatever it takes, folks. I said, it's whatever it takes. It's whatever it takes. That's how this goes. And I've been around enough. I got my throat cut in Yemen two years ago doing a run to get some food and medicine. And now, and now we're figuring out how to get another food and medicine run from Somalia over across the Aden Gulf over to Yemen. And you know that's the one with the route that the, that the pirates use. So I'm trying to find at least two or three, maybe ex-military guys that will go with me because you know, you know, and I know what we're going to be up against when we make that medicine food run. I know it. I got to have somebody that's not afraid to pull the trigger. <laughs> and a hush comes across the crowd. Yeah. You ain't lining up for that one, are you? Nope. I know that. But see, that's what it takes. Now you can do that, whatever you want. The love of Christ, when, when you get it, when it connects with you, something changes. But number two, definition number two, it keeps you away from something. And I struggled with this one because I couldn't make it make sense. It didn't make sense in contrast to the first definition. How can something move you towards something and keep you away from something at the same time? And then I got it. I got it. Of course, you dummy. Once you understand what he did, when that's real to you and that connects with you, that all by itself will keep you away from those things that the enemy constantly tries to throw at you, to destroy you, to destroy your family, to take people out. The love of Christ will keep you away from that. You get this. It moves you towards something, keeps you away from something, but last, number three, it keeps you in something. Hmm. In something. In what? His love will keep you in his love. His love will keep you in his grace, in his mercy. Oh, and by the way, his love will keep you in church. Well, you don't have to go to church. Yeah, you do. Duh. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. There is no substitute, my friends, for being in the house every Sunday morning with the fellowship, meeting people, talking with people, serving, encouraging. There's no substitute for that. There isn't. You know that. So what does all this mean? Time's gone, and I'm hungry. So I'll pick it up in the next one. But let me just tell you this. When you understand this, guys, when this connects, because the problem with being around church for a long time 
is we think we know everything. <laughs> I get it. I get it. No, see, when you really know him, really, you know what I'm saying. You better. And when that truth and all the implications, it just changes, folks. It just changes. That man, see, I didn't get to tell you the whole story. I got to pick up the rest of it in the next service because there's so much to like. He picked me up, and then he got me food, he got me water. And in five hours, he sponsored me to go to a Sunday school camp up outside of Lakewood. And that's, you know, pick it up. But now, see, I'm in this unique time because my whole life has been prepped for right now. At 73, it's all prepped. There's stuff I can do now, like this Afghanistan thing. And the other, I'm going, going to Kenya. Hmm. Rob, give me a picture. We gotta, we gotta hurry. Give me the next picture, if you will. Yeah. So we started Sunday school in the village. I'll be going to another village in a couple of weeks after the Afghanistan thing. But this was a couple of years ago. And I see these guys, these older guys, sitting kids in circles, and they've got these big hypodermic needles, right? And they're saying, okay, kids, if you want Coca-Cola, open up. And they're squirting. It looked like Coca-Cola. But I asked one of the staff, I said, what are these guys doing? He said, Pastor Will, that's what we're up against. What these guys do, the whole village was run by drug dealers. And they take like a Coke meth mix. And they fill it in these things. And they tell the kids they're going to give them Coca-Cola. Now, if you know anything about drugs, you can see this kid's eyes already. And so I'm looking at this, I'm going, so I walk, you know, some days I can be the nicest guy you'll ever want to meet. Thank you. Other days, not, not so much. And when I saw what they were doing, and I walked over to this one dealer, and he goes, oh, you're the preacher. He said, yeah, that's right, what's up? Mm -hmm. So, and uh, he goes, let me tell you something, preacher. Jesus never going to be in this village. Drugs got out of this village. So let me take you something, pal. And you better enjoy this right now because in two weeks, you ain't even going to be here. You ain't going to be around. You go, what do you mean? I said, oh, you know. You, you, you'll find out two weeks. You'll be out. See, because he didn't know. We were starting Metro Sunday School right there in two weeks. And on the very first day, we started the Sunday School. Rob, do you have that, you have that last picture? Yeah, you, you better, better give God a praise. You better give God, and that, that's just the boys. We couldn't get the girls in the picture. We had over 10,000 the first week. And you know what? The drug dealers kind of just faded away in Jesus' name. They just kind of faded away. How does this happen, folks? Because in 1960, on a street corner, a couple hours from there, an ordinary Christian saw the little boy that nobody wanted. And he sobbed. And he asked me if I was okay. Something started that day. The love of Christ started something in my life. And it's brought me here to you guys today. 
Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.